Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, October 20th. It was a day where we saw consistency rewarded on both the WTA and ATP tours. Not just consistency in terms of game style, but we see players who have consistently put up winning results throughout the course of the year continue to have success this week. Of course, lingering over everything is the chase for the year-end championships. That's what all of us are locked into to end this 2022 season. In particular, on the women's side, we have what I've kindly labeled the penultimate week of play in this 2022 season, a 1,000-level event in Guadalajara, the headline event of the week. And I want to focus on a couple of players who have had success this week. In particular, it's time to break down what has allowed 28-year-old American Jessica Pagano to have a career year here this season. The American continues to reach the latest stages of the biggest events on the calendar. Another quarterfinal on her resume after victories this week over Elena Rabakina and Bianca Andreescu. And I know we've talked about Pagula frequently on this show this year. How could we not have? She continues to reach quarterfinal after quarterfinal. But I want to get into the weeds. What do I like about Jessica? Pagula's game. Why do I think she has continued to have the success that she has had this year? That's something I really do want to spend some time on here on today's show. Of course, we can talk about some of the other winners as well. Coco Goff, Veronica Kudermetova, two more quarterfinalists in Guadalajara. We've had plenty of interesting early round results. We'll break them all down here on today's show. Of course, on the men's side, we have three ATP 250 events, all of them interesting, all of them featuring high-level players, in particular the ATP quarterfinals in Stockholm. Absolutely juicy. Here's the lineup in terms of what we're going to see on Friday, October 21st. You're going to have Stefano Tsitsipas, who leads the ATP Tour in wins on the 2022 season. He's taking on Michael Emer. Emer into a fourth quarterfinal in the seven ATP Tour events he has played since August 1st. The 24-year-old Swiss has made a jump to end this season, has firmly ensconced himself, one of my favorite words, inside the ATP Top 80 and the physicality he brings match in, match out. If you're not playing your best, you're not going to beat Michael Emer. That's a really fun quarterfinal matchup, particularly, again, given the context of Emer's recent success. He's playing on home soil in Stockholm. What's not to love about that? Tiafo Rusevori. Obviously, Francis has been on fire since the start of the U.S. Open. Rusevori, a player we have spent far too much time speaking about this season, but you know my fondness for the 24-year-old, I believe, maybe 23, I forget. I'll check throughout the course of this pod. His weapons, I say it's Yannick Center, point eight, the forehand, his ability to turn into it, his ability to get outside the ball. It's just extraordinarily impressive. And so I think that's a sneaky fun matchup, particularly on an indoor hard court. Shapovalov, Demon Hour, two players we're going to break down this offseason. I think they're fascinating moving forward. They're facing off in a Stockholm quarterfinal. And then Rune Nori, what has turned into a pretty fun rivalry. Two players who thrive on their physicality. You know that match is going to be two plus hours. Again, Emer Tsitsipas, Tiafo Rusevori, Demon Hour Shapovalov, Runa Nori. It's Thursday, October 20th. That's going to be a quarterfinal lineup at a 250 event here on 
the course of this. That's not English. We'll try that sentence again. It's going to be a 250 quarterfinal lineup here to end this 2022 season. Westoff, just leave it all in. Of course, you've got two other ATP 250s as well in Antwerp. Pretty solid lineup when you've got Hercot's team, FAA, of course, Sebi Korda, strong finish to the Young Americans 2022 season. He was excellent in a straight set win over Hatchinov in the round of 16, of course, in Naples. Some Italian success. You've got Lorenzo Musetti, Matteo Berrettini into quarterfinals. I said on this show, look out for Mackie McDonald. He plays an excellent match, 4-4 four and four over Roberto Bautista Agu. Plenty of fun play at the tour level this week. We'll break it all down here on today's show. Of course, the reason we're able to do that day in, day out on the Mini Break Podcast is because of the support we get from all of you listeners. Immensely grateful to all of you that trust us to cover the tours day in, day out, keep you apprised on everything happening in the tennis world. Of course, we're going to keep doing that through the end of this 2022 season. Then we're going to have some fun this offseason as we look at the big picture moving forward in the pro tennis world. Of course, a shout out always as well to our friends at Tennis Point who understand the necessity of having a daily show so tennis fans can keep up with all the action. Of course, they also understand you need the best equipment. You need to feel comfortable on court if you're going to perform their best. That's why they provide everything you could be looking for as a tennis player. Shoes, clothing, rackets, strings, you name the brand, they've got it. All you got to do to find their catalog is go to their website, tennis-point.com. Today, you use our promo code CR15. Not only will we let them know you we sent you, you let them know, we'll try that again in English, you let them know we sent you there, but you'll get 15% off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, tennis-point, simple, not the spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is cr 15 With that said, let's get into the action and let's start with that 1000 level event in Guadalajara. And as I alluded to, I want to spend some time talking about 28-year-old American Jessica Pagula. The argument is quite easy to make that the 28-year-old is in the midst of a career season. You look for Pagula now 39-18 and 18 overall on the year. She's made the quarterfinals in nine of the events that she's played this season. And again, significantly, it's where those quarterfinals have come. Of course, her lowest level quarterfinal of the season was at the 500-level event in San Diego last week. And obviously, Iga Swiatek, world number one, goes on to win that event the chatter surrounding the San Diego draw, certainly on this podcast, but on tennis Twitter as well, was surrounding the strength of that draw entering the event. You saw what? I think it was six top 10 players in the draw, something crazy like that. And once again, Pagula found herself in a quarterfinal there. That's the lowest level. Of course, she's into a ninth quarterfinal here in Guadalajara. Her other 1,000 level event quarterfinals, Cincinnati. Toronto, the North American double, shout out to you, Madrid, Miami, and again, now here, Guadalajara, five 1,000-level quarterfinals. Of course, she also reached quarterfinals at the U.S. Open, Roland Garros, and Australian Open. If it's been a big event this season, Jessica Pagula has found herself in the final rounds of play, and you know... I refer to this cliche, this adage we had, I say, a wise man once said or a coach once said, to be honest, the origin of this quote, and I don't know where he heard it from, but we had someone on our club tennis team who always liked to introduce a little bit of levity at the start of every tournament, but something to keep us focused in the early rounds of play. And he always used to say, guys, we can't win the tournament in round number one, but we can definitely lose it. And to Jessica Pagula's credit, she just has not lost at these big events early in play. She puts herself in winning positions. Now, I've recounted this on earlier episodes, but you look at who the losses for Jessica Pagula have come to this season. Iga in San Diego. Iga wins the event. Iga at the U.S. Open. Iga goes on to win the event. Caroline Garcia in Cincinnati. Garcia goes on to win the event. Halep in Toronto. 
Halep goes on to win the event. Pagula's last four losses have been to players who've gone on to win the event. Now, there's the Daria Seville loss in Washington. You can throw that aside. That that and Petra Martic, third-round Wimbledon, probably the two disappointing losses in Pagula's season. Outside of that, again, Sviantek, Roland Garros quarterfinals, Iga goes on to win that event. Jabir, Madrid final, Jabir goes on to win that event. Sviantek, Miami semifinals, Sviantek goes on to win that event. Barty, Australian Open quarterfinals, Barty goes on to win that event. Eight of Pagula's 18 losses this season have come to players who have ultimately gone on to win the event. Now again, I know that's the glass half-empty perspective on Pagula's season that she hasn't earned that defining victory. You look for Pagula. She doesn't have a title here this year, only the one final in Madrid. But again, consistency has won out. You look for Jessica Pagula up to a new career high, third in the live ranking. She's third in the points race. She has been that good here this season. And with all due respect to Jabir, who of course has made two slam finals, Wimbledon, US Open. You know, Sviantek lost to three, uh, Sviantek, excuse me, Pagula lost to three slam champions in Barty and Sviantek twice at the three majors. You can't fault Pagula's season for facing the winning player earlier in the draw. And again, you look for Jessica Pagula from a numbers perspective here this season. And this is where I want to geek out a little bit. What makes Pagula so fundamentally sound? Well, again, she's holding 72.8% of the time. That's 2.8% above her career average. It's a career high for her for a full season of play at the tour level. And, you know, ranks top 20 on the WTA tour here this season. Pagula 17th in hold percentage. She's also breaking serves 36.7% of the time, which is actually beneath her career average. And you look for Pagula, she's fallen all the way down to 19th in break percentage here this season. But again, what does that speak to? She's 18th in hold percentage, 19th in break percentage. The floor for Pagula and one of just five players you can say this season who rank top 20 in both hold and break percentage. Pagula is rock solid across both her service games, across her return games. There is no fundamental weakness in the game of Jessica Pagula. That's the first thing that stands out. I think athletically, you know, Pagula moves very well in and out of the outer thirds of the court. I think the depth she's able to generate in the corners, her ability to drive the ball cross court off of both wings. I think throughout the course of this season, she's actually shown an ability and a recognition. Okay, I need to find a way to win points for myself a little bit easier. And I think this week in Guadalajara, particularly set two against Rabakina, set one, particularly the back half of the set against Andrescu, she got a little bit more aggressive with her first strike. I think she's hitting the forehand cross court extraordinarily well this week. And I think that ability to win points freely for Jessica Pagula will actually determine her ceiling moving forward. If that serve becomes a little bit more of a weapon because she hits her spots very well. She hits her first strikes to every different target. She can hit the short angle. She can drive the backhand cross line. You know, again, fundamentally, I don't see a weakness in Pagula's game. I think she is very sound in her patterns. Two balls cross, one ball line. I liked against Rabakina her recognition of, okay, if I leave anything short and in the outer thirds, Rabakina is just immediately on the attack. She's taking that ball early. She's taking time away from Pagula. So what did Pagula adjust and do? Start playing with depth down the center. And that's another option Pagula has for herself because, again, her defensive skills are are the, that sound. She does have that ability to hit the passing shot, short angle cross on the forehand, hit the drive, hit the lob, play the loopy topspin ball to just buy a little bit of time for herself. She's also comfortable moving forward, comfortable swinging through the overhead, comfortable playing volleys out of the air. That's why she's had so much double success here this season in her partnership with Coco Goff. There's not a lot of holes in Jessica Pagula's game. Now, you would say, again, what defines her ceiling moving forward is that she's good at everything. I don't know if she's great at 
anything. I think she is great as a returner. I think you look at her returns in play for Jessica Pagula here this season. Pagula moves all the way inside the top 15 in that metric. Shout out to our friends at Tennis Abstract for making those sorts of numbers available. I think her ability, again, the forehand backswing, pretty sound, pretty condensed. Does she generate the most topspin on that forehand? No, but I think she has done a better job of getting outside the ball, certainly driving that short-angle forehand approach, again, better than I've ever seen this week in Guadalajara. She's exceptional on the backhand wing. Not good, not great, exceptional. And her ability to drive that ball cross-court, again, that's such a difficult thing to do. Plenty of people can hit the ball cross-court, but can you actually drive the ball through the court cross, generate openings for yourself, generate opportunities to change direction? For Jessica Pagula, the answer to that question is yes. And again, that's what Pagula did so well against Bianca Andreescu. She limited Andreescu's ability to play easy first-strike tennis because, again, Pagula does make so many returns in play. She gets such great depth on her return of serve. And then whenever Bianca would leave something short, that's when Pagula pounces. She's very efficient on getting on top of that short ball and changing direction when the opportunity presents itself. You know, you look for Jessica Pagula throughout the course of the match, wins 60% of her first serve points, oh, over 60%, excuse me, she was just on her front foot. She kept Andrescu behind the baseline, didn't allow Andrescu to dictate with her first forehand unless Andrescu made a very well-placed first serve. And even then, Pagula made things competitive because she does move so well and does do such a great job extending rallies. Andrescu had to be really good just to win any games in this match. And so, again, credit to Jessica Pagula. Nine quarterfinals in 19 events this season, and all of them were at the big events that she played on the calendar, not the Charlestons or the, you know, Sydney's or the even DC's of the world. No, again, her lowest level quarterfinal comes in San Diego here this season. Rabakina and Rescue are not soft wins to get to the quarterfinal. That is a hard-earned draw. And again, you look for her across the board, beat Sakari on her way to the Australian Open quarterfinals, beat Rabakina and Bedosa on her way to the Miami semifinals, beat Andrescu, a very much informed Teichman, on her way to the Madrid final. That might be a softer draw. Zidanzic, Kalanina, not the toughest draw to get to the Roland Garros quarterfinal. Good wins over Radicanu, Kostyuk, Cincinnati, Putenseva, Georgie in Toronto. I mean, again, she's beaten who she's supposed to beat. And you look at her record against players outside the top 20 this season, she's 33-8 and overall against those opponents. Now, 6-10 and against the top 20. Again, I would point out that four of those losses are to Iga Sviantek and another one of them to Ashley Barty in Australia when Barty was undefeated earlier in this season. You take those five losses away because I do think Iga, Barty were, are on a definitive tier here this year. And just for the sake of this discussion, I'm including Barty in there. And then it's been a best of the rest. It's been a smorgasbord of top 20 type talent, but no definitive top tenors. Again, own Jabur very much in that mix. But Jessica Pagula, outside of the Iga Barty matches, six and five against the rest of those top 20 players here this season. And so. She deserves to be in the year-end finals. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. She has been that consistent at the big events. In a year of uncertainty, you can pencil in Jessica Pagula, quarterfinals of every major tournament. And that's a testament to the 28-year-old's development. Again, just a very well-rounded game. Credit to Jessica Pagula into the quarterfinals where she awaits the winner of Caroline Garcia and Sloane Stevens. Boy, would that be fascinating for the 28-year-old Pagula to play the now 29-year-old Sloane Stevens. I mean, Stevens obviously got off to such a quicker start in her career, was a Grand Slam champion in world number three in 2018. And you know, made a Roland Garros final as well. Meanwhile, now it's Pagula at 28 years old, the higher ranked player of the two. 
a fascinating dynamic, you know, again, a testament to how different development curves can be in a pro tour career, but had to give a specific shout out to Jessica Pagula. She has been that good. That's this season, that consistent at the big events. And I wanted to offer my thoughts about it again. One of only five players who ranks top 20 in both hold and break percentage this season. And third in the points race. By the way, uh, always interesting to look at the ELO ratings. They have her sixth overall ELO rating, seventh in terms of 2022 specific results. I think that speaks to the lack of wins over Aniga, over Abardi in those big events, that lack of title holding her outside of the top five. But again, best of the rest, there's no doubt. Jessica Pagula belongs firmly in that tier two discussion you know who else is one of the five players to rank top 20 in both hold and break percentage this season? I know it's going to be a surprise, but it's 24-year-old Marie Buzkova, who is into the quarterfinals in Guadalajara, now up to a new career high of number 31 in the live rankings. Here's a remarkable number. Marie Buzkova, 40-12 and 12 overall in 2022. Is she this year's Jensen Brooksby? Some scholars have argued yes. I mean, again, winning 77% of her matches has had to come through qualifying in a lot of different places, and that's where she's racked up a ton of different wins. But you look for her throughout the course of this season against players ranked outside the top 50. Marie Buzkova, 33-4 and overall. Hasn't lost to a non-top 50 opponent since April 2022. April, April 2022, sorry. April 18th, 2022 when she lost to Vavara Gracheva in the first round in Istanbul. So what is that for? It's more than 15 consecutive wins against players ranked outside the top 50. And, you know, you look for her against top 50 opponents this season, seven and eight overall. And what does that indicate? Well, A, again, the majority of her success, she's won 89% of her matches against top 50 opponents. She's cleaned up out against players ranked outside the top 50. If you don't have a overwhelming weapon that you hit consistently enough to wear the immensely gifted from a physicality standpoint. Boy, does she make you work 15, 20 ball rallies for Buzkova. Talk about consistency being rewarded once again. Um, Again, Marie Buzkova has been exceptional this season against players who don't have that definitive weapon, don't have that ability to uh, overwhelm her over time because you're not going to overwhelm her physically. She's worn them down. And if you're 33 and 4 against non top 50 opponents, you probably belong inside the top 50. And 7 and 8, your top 100, or your 500 when you're playing top 50 opponents again. Middle tier, 31 in the world. Sounds about right. And for Buzkova this season, again, when you rack up that many wins, the hold percentage is going to look good. The break percentage is going to look good. She's holding serve 73.9% of the time. The average top 50 WTA player this season holding serve 70.9% of the time. Now, if you want to say it's against a softer schedule, I think that's a fair argument to make. I would also say you look at the break percentage, average top 50 player, 35.9%. Marie Buzkova this season, 39.3%. The hold percentage feels a little bit extreme. And you look for Buzkova, her first serve win percentage drops by uh, 6.6%. When playing players ranked outside the top 50 versus opponents ranked inside the top 50, her percentage of return points one drops by 7.3%. So I do think there is a line of delineate, uh, delineation, hopefully that's a word, if it's not, I'm sorry, where Buzkova, if you do have a certain degree of weapon, the fact that her ball does sit a little bit up on the baseline. She generates great depth, but it's the pace that Buzkova struggles to generate. Better players, when given that many opportunities, will continue to work you to the outer thirds with their patterns, or eventually you give Rabakina a sitting ball in the center third of the court. She's going to attack it and generate an opportunity for herself. I do think, again, you saw in the first set against Ludmilla Samsonova, Buzkova was overwhelmed by the pace of Samsonova. She took it six love, but slowly but surely, Buzkova got to that extra ball, stretched 
Samsonova a little bit further in the outer thirds, mixed in the drop shots, mixed in the slice, mixed in the dead ball, and, you know, again, places her serves really well and always takes the first shot to the open court. It's always going to force you to play on the run. Again, Buzkova introduces a degree of physicality in that Cerebez Tormo model where she just makes you uncomfortable, and that's a credit to the 24-year-old's work on and off the court. She's had some injuries, but again, now 24 years old, 31 in the rankings. You get to play whatever schedule you want come 2023. You're going to make some pretty decent money as well. It's been a great year from Buzkova from start to finish and now a 1,000 level quarterfinal. The perfect feather to put in her cap here this year into the quarterfinals for Buzkova where she now awaits the winner of Kasatkina and Kalinskaya. Of course, your other Quarterfinalists so far in Guadalajara, Veronica Kudermatova, who's now enter uh, now here, excuse me, 39 and 19 overall this season. That's a two-thirds rule, folks, and you look for Kudermatova. She's made 11 quarterfinals in 20 total events this season. That is why Veronica Kudermatova, one of just 11 players remaining, 12 players remaining, excuse me, still alive in the race to the year-end finals now. Five players have clinched their spots. Sviantek, Jabur, Pagula, Goff, and Caroline Garcia, I believe, has clinched her spot, or if she wins tonight, will have the opportunity to clinch her spot. Outside of that, Sabalenka, who's out in Guadalajara, she has a 35-point lead on seventh place Daria Kasatkina. Kasatkina currently a 140-point lead on Kudermatova, so 175-point lead for Sabalenka. I'll say this, though. If Kasatkina wins one more match in Guadalajara, she surpasses Sabalenka. Kudermatova has to make the finals in Guadalajara to surpass Sabalenka. You look for Maria Sakari. She also is going to need to make the finals, have some luck there. She takes on Madison Keys. That is a win-or-go-home match in Guadalajara. You love to see it in late October. Maybe it's Sakari against Danielle Collins. Excuse me. It's Sakari against Danielle Collins. It is a win-or-go-home match, though. You love to see that in October. Keys taking on uh, Victoria Azarenka. Uh, Again, Keys has to make a bit of a run here if she wants to stay alive. So really, again, competing for those final three spots. Sabalenka, Kasakina, Kudermatova, Sakari, Keys, and Collins. That's who's still alive in the race to the year-end finals. Uh, Certainly, it's I mean, you look at the numbers right now. Again, Coco Golf still 24.1% chance of winning the event. She's the favorite. Pagula, 19.5. Then Collins, 14.2. Kasatkina, 10.5%, according to Tennis Abstract. That's where things stand in Guadalajara. 11 quarterfinals, by the way, for Veronica Kudermatova. That's a top five number. Oh, got to give a shout out to Coco Goff as well. How can I not? As Goff has been exceptional here this season, 38 and 18 overall. That's the two-thirds rule. And again, 18 years old, she's clinched a spot in the year-end finals. I know I talked about this early in the week. You just don't see a lot of teenagers do that. I'm sure Celis did it. Hingis probably did it. Serena and Sharapova awfully came close, and it might be in that discussion, but it's going to be a short list of players, and Coco Goff is now forever going to be on that list, having clinched her spot, and you look for Coco Goff into now a ninth quarterfinal here this season. That's a top 10 number on the WTA Tour. And by the way, her quarterfinals, Doha, Roland Garros, Toronto, U.S. Open, San Diego, Guadalajara. Those are six of the biggest, what, 11 biggest events on the calendar. And Goff has put herself in a winning position, of course. Obviously, the slam final at Roland Garros, the signature result for Goff here this year. But you look for Coco Goff from a number standpoint. She's holding 70.6% of the time. She's 27th amongst top 50 players in hold percentage, breaking 20, uh, 35.7% of the time. She's 26th in break percentage, just outside that top 25 club, but she's been really good all around. And I think her wins over Coach Hiretto, Trevisan, a testament to that fact. They just couldn't hurt her. And it took off a little bit of time, particularly that first set against Coach Hiretto, where she came out slow. Took her a little bit of time to find her rhythm on that forehand. But once she did, she started attacking aggressively down the line. It allowed her to start mixing in the drop shot, taking advantage of the defensive court positioning of Coach Hiretto and Trevisan. And 
then she's so comfortable moving forward. She's so fluid in the outer thirds of the court, so successful in driving her backhand cross court. And again, when that first serve is landing, it's an absolute weapon. It allows her to introduce that element of moving forward in her game comfortably. Of course, she's still going to look to move forward, but when the first serve is landing, the opportunities are just so evident and everything comes a little bit easier. And again, she generates that those oh-so-essential free points. So credit to Coco Goff into the quarterfinals, plays two players she should beat, and she does. And that's a testament to the maturity of the 18-year-old who is into the quarterfinals in Guadalajara and awaits the winner of Keys and Azarenka, which will certainly be her toughest test of the tournament yet. Of course, for what it's worth, just quickly, there is a 125 WTA event. We have our eye on Katie McNally into the quarterfinals there. She's got the bigger weapons as she takes on Zinevska, and I think the winner of that becomes the favorite to capture the event. Of course, Golubic, Konya still alive. Kiki Mladenovic floating as well. So just keep your eyes on that 125K event. We may discuss it later this weekend here on this show. Of course, that's your action on the WTA side and your chase for the championship updates there. Let's switch gears now. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Talk about the action happening on the men's side, and I know I previewed it in my introduction, but again, these quarterfinals in Stockholm, Tsitsipas Emer, Tiafo Rusevori, Demon Hour Shapovalov, Runa Nori. It's mid-October. It's an ATP 250. These next-gen players are jockeying for positioning. And as a fan, that's something you absolutely love to see. Now, quickly on Stefano Tsitsipas, again, your ATP Tour leader in victory. Tsitsipas now earning a tour leading, as I mentioned. I mentioned he leads the tour. 53rd victory on the season with a 6-6 six and six victory over Maxime Cressy. He was broken once in the match, but ultimately gets that back on a Cressy double fault. Now, again, the big thing I want to just point out from that match, how does Tsitsipas get the mini break in the first set? Uh, tiebreaker. And shout out to the mini break here when we get to use it as a term in tennis. Of course, the mini break meaning he goes up a break of serve 6-5, 5-4, whatever it may be in a tie break format. Uh, he does it by landing a backhand return at the feet of Max Cressy. The lace is a backhand. It's a low half volley that Cressy pops back up. And then Tsitsipas able to definitively put away a forehand. It's progress, folks. It's the adjustment we're all hoping he makes because once that backhand return becomes that much more sound, I mean, the serve, the forehand, the authority and weight of every shot that he hits, his comfort level moving forward, the creativity, the better than you would expect fluidity in the outer thirds, the strength of the ball and the depth that he can generate when he is on the run. Again, if that backhand return can just become average, he probably wins a grand slam at some point in his career. I don't think that's unfair to say about Stefano Tsitsipas. Very nice 6-6 six and six victory for him. Now, he'll have to be authoritative. He'll have to be definitive as the tour leader and wins. Thought I'd just sneak it in one more time. Takes on a rising Michael Emer, the 24-year-old. Fourth quarterfinal in seven tour-level events since the start of August. Really impressive. Come from behind 5-7-6-4-6-3. Win against Quentin Halise. His physicality won out in that match. And then Tommy Paul just didn't have answers for him. And Emer, a 2-3 and three victory over the defending Stockholm champion. You look for Emer. He's just hitting the backhand with a little bit more authority now. His with The weight behind that shot, the depth he's able to generate, doesn't matter if he's on the run, doesn't matter what position he's in, that backhand's going beyond the service line. And just, the, again, he does have an ability to rip through that ball cross court. He's plenty comfortable changing direction down the line there. Yes, with elite pace, he'll leave his forehand short from time to time. And even not, sometimes that forehand does sit up a little bit inside the service line. That said, again, you have him on the run in the outer thirds. That's when he's at his most dangerous end. 
he can change direction on a blink of an eye, you know, a snap of a finger. I hope you heard the snap there, listeners. I couldn't help myself. Fort Emer. I also think he holds the ball a little bit longer on his racket on that forehand wing, and that helps him disguise his direction that much better. And look, the serve is getting better. Now the hold percentage is still below 75%. The average top 50 player, 82.3% here this season. Obviously, statistically, that's not great, but there's been a little bit more zip for him on that serve since the start of August. And you look at the hold percentage number for him since August 1st of this year, Michael Immer holding serve 75.6% of the time. It's better. It's progress. Now, the big number, he's breaking serve 35.6% of the time. And again, that gets back to the physicality. This kid puts every return in play. Kid, young man, puts every return in play. And just, again, ability to, to drive through the backhand. You know I'm a backhand connoisseur. I really enjoy it. I think Emer's fluidity, obviously, in the outer thirds when he's tracking down a short ball, his ability to dip the first passing shot at your feet so that you have to pop up a short volley, and then his ability to track down that second passing shot, his fluidity on that shot can hit any ball from that position. It's exceptional defense that Emer's able to play. But then again, he's been a little bit more comfortable stepping inside the baseline, moving forward, because Emer has always been a good volleyer. He's now just a more willing volleyer, and there's a lot to like in the game of Emer. Again, you feel like even on a slower clay surface, yeah, his backhand's a little bit flatter, but you give him a little bit more time to set on his forehand wing. You look for Michael Emer. It's been a massive end to this season. The 24-year-old now up back into the top 80 at number 75 in the rankings. Another victory. He'll be all the way up to number 67. I mean, it's just, again, you're getting into the Australian Open. You're getting to play tour-level events to end this season, to start next season. And it's a really nice base of points from August onward for Emer to have as a foundation to the start of next year. You can just play a little bit more freely at the start of the season. So that's a really fun contrast of styles. Pass is going to have plenty of forehands, uh, opportunities to hit the big forehand, but he's going to have to be decisive because Emer will constantly keep him on his toes and come up with defensive genius. Uh, of course, speaking of defensive genius, I mean, Francis Tiafo survives today, 3-6-7-6-7-6 in a win over Elias Emer. And by the way, for Emer, the home crowd has been so receptive to Emer. It's been really, really fun to watch. And they almost had Elias through to the quarterfinals as well. Ultimately, though, Tiafo picking up a 30-second victory on the season. I mean, look, in the end, the first serve came through. He won 79% of his first serve points, was broken only three times throughout the course of the match. Obviously, a bunch of them happened early in the match, and now he's into his seventh quarterfinal here this season. Seven quarterfinals and 22 quarter uh, total events. That's how Francis Tiafoe, you know, one of them, a U.S. Open quarterfinal. That's how Francis Tiafoe now finds himself at number 17 in the live rankings. Tiafoe also sitting at 17 in the points race. It's been a career year for the American, and he is positioned so well for 2023. Yes, we will find a way to work Francis Tiafo conversation into our off-season discussions. That I promise of you, of course. He is taking on Emil Rusevori. You look for Rusevori, 52 in the world, coming into the week. Is the, by the way, we have our answer, 23-year-old Rusevori back up to number 50 with his run to these quarterfinals. You look for Rusevori now overall on the year, 39 and 29. 57% win percentage. That's a top 50 number when you're playing exclusively at the ATP level. And you look for Rusevori into a fifth quarterfinal this season, third on hard courts. I mean, was just play, has played lights out tennis so far. Three and two over Sosa. He worked Lechechka two and two uh, in his round of 16 victory and just. Everything was on his terms. He constantly had Lachetchka stretched early in the rally, and then when you give Rusevori time and he's on his front foot, he's just too good playing that first strike aggressive tennis. So I think he continues to move better. I think he's another guy who can continue to make mini leaps and work his way into that top 35 discussion. That top 35 is going to get awfully crowded pretty quickly because there are a lot of 
20 to 24-year-olds who are really good, who are right now 40 to 60-ish. You think about guys like Emer, Rusevori, Nakashima, Korda, etc., who are ready to make a top 25 jump. And you think about like the Hachinovs, Demon Hour, Shapovalovs, Demon New, uh, you know, uh, of the world, who are where's their space in the ecosystem moving forward again that want i want that to be one of my discussion points here this offseason of course you look for Chapo, really nice win four and five over the big serving lefty antoine bellier uh you look for uh Chapo, or was it against belly i thought he played hustler for some reason evidently he didn't but you look for Chapo, finals in seoul semifinals in tokyo uh obviously now into the quarterfinals here in stockholm it was the rally he needed, even in the third round at U.S. Open, to lose five sets to Rublev the way that he did. It was really the rebound uh, that he's needed here to end this season, and it's just provided him a little bit of lifeblood, a little bit of a base of points to fall back on, and currently sitting at 19 in the live rankings, considering the struggle he had from, what was it, Rome earlier this season? When did he play Nadal? He played him in, uh, yeah, Rome earlier this season, that struggle from Rome really through Cincinnati, where he lost what something like eight of nine matches or nine of ten matches yeah nine of ten matches from the Rome quarterfinals all the way through the start of Cincinnati this was the ending that Chapovalov needed he's playing much more confidently he's playing much more in rhythm he's not going for the first strike that much uh, that early in the rally he's relying on his physicality a little bit more I've actually liked that the patience that he's shown. I think that has led to the renewal in his form, of course, for Demon Hour. It's been a strong, not strong maybe, but solid ending to his season as well. Alex Demon Hour quietly 42-21. and 21. Is that a two-thirds rule we see for Demon? How many quarterfinals has he made this year? He's made six overall this season. None of them at a 1,000-level event or higher. Oh, uh, no, Barcelona's a 500. That's his highest level quarterfinal here this season. You look for Demon, of course, the one title in Atlanta earlier in the summer. That's a quiet two-thirds year. I mean, you look at the numbers for Demon. He's holding 79.1% of the time. That's his career average. He's breaking serve 28.8% of the time. That's 4% above his career average. That's a top 15 number on the ATP Tour. It's actually a top 10 number on the ATP Tour here this season. Demon Hour currently uh, ranks eighth in break percentage here this year. And yet, again, it hasn't come at the big events. So it hasn't felt like a great season for Alex Demon Hour. I'm going to have to dive more into that. Go back, watch the film i owe you all five minutes on demon hour that's my promise of course for what it's worth he is three and one against chapo in his career of course nori runa into quarterfinals nori iron lungs as always just so physical and can do a little bit of everything i see a lot of pagula in nori i think the same arguments apply he's would be top 26 seven ish club if the hold percentage was a little higher uh, you look for Nori. He just worked. Karatsev was playing very well, but Karatsev ran out of the legs down the home stretch of that match. And so now you look for Cam Nori. Remarkable here this season. His consistency, 47 and 23 overall. That's a two-thirds rule here, folks. Of course, now into an 11th quarterfinal of the season. That's a top 10 number on the ATP Tour. Top 5 number, actually, I believe, as I think there's only uh, no, top 10 number because there are now a couple of people in the double digits. The point is that's why Cam Nuri currently finds himself alive in the points race, sitting at 12. If he can win a title this week and hopes Felix loses, he can cut the deficit to around 460 points, which with a 500 and a 1,000 level event to play, he's still in the running, I suppose. That would be the argument for Cam Nori, which is definitely a win at this point. Of course, you look for Holgaruna furthering, further ensconcing himself now up to number 26, a new career high. He'll hold on to a top 30 ranking here this season. Very impressive for Holgaruna. You look overall 37 and 26 here this year into the quarterfinals for a seventh event, but sixth, excuse me, uh, yeah, sixth on the ATP tour here this season. Not too shabby for 19 years old. Of course, again, that's just the action in Stockholm, where for what it's worth, Tsitsipas, 31.4% favorite according to Tennis Abstract, Nori, 21.7, Tiafo 17.3, Demon Hour, 12.9%. Of course, we've got two other ATP 250s happening this week 
as well. You look now at the action in Antwerp that this is the undercard ATP event. Again, speaks to how loaded a week it truly is. Hubie Hercott's very impressive three-set win over Jack Draper just took the legs out from under him. Hubie now going to face Dominic Team, who survives 7-5 in the third as he knocks out sixth-seeded Francisco Sarundolo. I like, I don't love, like, again, I'm not ready to brand team a Dominic, I'm not ready to brand team, excuse me, a top 10 player quite yet. Like, I'm, I'm going to be a little bit reserved. I need to see it three out of five sets. I like, I don't love his physicality. I do like that he's back to, you know what, I'm going 12 feet behind the baseline to get a clean swing on the return. That said, it does still feel like he's, and by the way, we shouldn't expect him to be full form yet, but does still feel like he's a half-step slow-changing direction. He's exploding through the ball better wind stretch, but it's still not quite the elite pop it once was. When his feet are set, though, he looks like Dominic Team again. And for what it's worth, he'll be 3-0 against Team in his career. And Team coming off of a very physical three-set match, so that will be an interesting one to watch. How about Seppi Corda, who has just been so exceptional to end this season? Uh, Corda, a 5-6 and six victory over Hatchinov, considering Corda came off of a finals run last week for him to get wins over Giron, over Hatchinov, two physical matches. The backhand just has held up so exceptionally. I do think there's a little renewed, a little oomph, a little chutzpah on that forehand now as well. You look for Korda winning 74.5% of his first serve points. When he landed that first serve, he played elite first strike tennis, did a great job stretching Hatchinov on the forehand ring, uh, wing. Excuse me. This has been precisely the ending to the season Corda needed because when you look for Sebi Corda now 22 years old back up to number 35 in the rankings we'll say this in the offseason I'm going to do it with our dear friend Sakib from Tennis with an Accent I think he's a player who's going to have a capital B breakout in 2023 I'm just putting my stamp on that now I know I said it earlier in the week but just want to reiterate that point here for all of you listeners of course he's taking on another guy who has had a resurgent 2022 in Yoshihito Nishioka the 27 year old from Japan up to number 37 in the live ranking shout out to Nishioka into another quarterfinals of course perhaps most notably has made the finals in Washington won the title in Seoul earlier or about a month ago now I was gonna say earlier this month was the final in October. Who knows? The point is, obviously, has had a very successful summer hardcourt stretch. Is up to a new career high as such. That said, love this matchup for Korda in theory. How much is left in the legs? That's the question. But Nishioka not going to be able to stretch Korda on the backhand wing the way he can stretch other players because you just don't want to challenge that Korda backhand wing consistently. That's a Nishioka's ability to move Korda to the outer thirds again will test the legs of the American who is 1-0 against Nishioka in his career. Uh, of course, shout out to 2016, Richard Gasquet taking on David Goffin in another quarterfinal. Then Felix is going to take on Dan Evans. Felix, a solid 3-3 three three win over lucky loser Manuel Guinard. Felix following up on a title run from last week, the serve, the forehand. They are just in rhythm right now. Of course, Dan Evans moving very well. There's a reason he sustained himself in the top 35. And you look for Dan Evans currently sitting at number 25 is the 32-year-old in the live rankings. Of course, that's your action in Antwerp. And for what it's worth, of course, via our friend Jeff Sackman at Tennis Abstract. Felix, a 32.6% favorite. Who be 225 Corda 14.2 after that everyone's pretty close but that's what the numbers say about the home stretch at least over in Antwerp with that said let's move to our final event happening in Naples and look Matteo Berrettini gets a much needed win back to 500 in two out of three set hard court matches you look for the Italian a 4-2 victory over Roberto Carbeas Baina Whenever he had a look at first forehand, he hit the forehand so well. 
in this match. Just Carbez Baena was always playing on the stretch and so was very impressed uh, by Berrettini. Uh, he's going to take on Taro Daniel now in the quarterfinals. Mackie McDonald, the upset of the event, 4-4 four and four win for him over Roberto Bautista Agu. You look for McDonald coming off of that Tokyo title uh, quarterfinals last week, now back up to number 71 on the back of this Naples quarterfinals. That's just a solid position to be for the 27 year-old, of course. The real storyline we all are following now today, Jijun Zhang, the 26-year-old from China, I believe becomes the first man from China to reach the top 100 of the ATP singles rankings. Now, fact check me if I'm wrong, but he's up to number 96 in the live rankings. Now, there are players who can pass him with good runs this week, so we can't officially say he's the first player from China to be top 100, but for the moment, he is, so that's something for us to watch. Of course, he's going to take on Mackie next. Mackie 1-0 in their career head-to-heads. You also have Musetti, very comfortable 5-3 and win over Laszlo Jura. Uh, look, Musetti just athletically, he's top tier. And his ability, the, the combination of quick twitchiness and fluidity in the outer thirds, he can generate so explosively from any position on the court, and that one-handed backhand is very enjoyable to watch. So he's going to take on Daniel Alahi Galan. going to be interesting to see how his backhand holds up to the heaviness of that inside-out Galan forehand. Uh, of course, still have one round two to go. Ba- Pablo Carreño Busta going to take on Fodnini. Carreño Busta 7-2 in that career head-to-head. Winner gets Miomir Kesmenovic, who's into another quarterfinal for what it's worth as of right now. Berrettini, 46% favorite to win the event. Carreño Busta 16-5. That's because he's a round behind. Kesmenovic 12-3. Musetti 10-7. With that said, that's your look at the action happening this week on the ATP and WTA Tour. Still a bunch of players still alive in those race for the ATP Tour Championships. I believe you have 28 players in total still alive. Uh, Obviously, five have clinched their spots. There are 23 still competing for those final three spots. We'll look at that more closely as the race narrows down. And I actually think this week will actually help us narrow things down as we have two more really big weeks to go on the ATP Tour. With that said, I want to let you know about a little content we've got brewing here at Cracked Rackets. First and foremost, massive welcome to our dear friend, Gil Gross, who is joining the Cracked Rackets family. I know a lot of you listeners look forward to to uh, the episodes we do with Gil. How could you do not? He's so insightful. He's tolerant of our nonsense. And uh, we're very much looking forward to working with him more moving forward. And we thought he was just the perfect fit for us here at Crack Rackets. He just views the game the way we do and offers insights. And he views it the way we do, but thinks about it differently than we do. And whenever you can get that sort of opinion, that sort of brain in, that sort of energy uh, in your culture, you thrive. And so we're very much looking forward to having more Gil in our life here at Cracked Rackets moving forward. A massive mazel tov to my dear friend and welcome to our Cracked Rackets team, of course. Also, I've spoken with three of the four ITA All-American champions, and I have the fourth episode booked for next week. So be on the lookout for a couple of cracked interviews coming your way. Of course, we've had some great conversations. Ben Shelton, Ellen Perez, Jackson Withrow, if you haven't, go check those out. I know you're going to enjoy them. Of course, a shout out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. With that said, of course, as always, a shout out to... To our friends at Tennis Point, remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest equipment in the tennis world, of course. With all of that said, for our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, and from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.